morning, everybody. Uh, happy Halloween, I guess. Uh, I mean, that is today, October 31st. How many of you would say you've eaten way too much candy in the last few days? Raise your hand. All right. And uh, it just seems like we're entering that season right now uh, from October 31st through the end of the year. We're about to overeat. All right. Let's just be honest about that. And between the turkey and the ham and the casseroles and the and the sweet potatoes and the Christmas fudge, uh, fat grams, calories, and carbs are going to be a real issue over the next uh, few weeks. It's really a season of overindulgence when it comes to eating. And today, what I'm going to talk about, and parents, I just want you to know right up front, uh, I'll be sensitive to the audience today. We are going to hit some, uh, some topics today, though, and, and I'll keep that in mind as well, because we're going to talk about being overindulgent in a lot of areas of our life. And we've been in this series on the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is today. And, and so this is an area where so many of us have, you know, a challenging area or two where we're like, man, when I look at that area of my life, that's an area where I am overindulgent. Maybe it could be food, 40 uh, to 80 million Americans uh, suffer from compulsive overeating, and, uh, and yet on the other hand, many struggle with eating disorders, and it's a challenge for them uh, and their own self-image. Some struggle with spending and overspending, and uh, years ago, I had a couple that the wife was getting credit cards in the mail and was hiding them from her husband. She racked over $100,000 in credit card debt never told him their marriage ended and there was real challenge in their, in their life because of overspending. Another area is this growing area of sexual addiction or maybe seeing explicit images or jumping from one relationship to another. For some, it's alcohol or drugs and there's an addictive kind of behavior there and, and they're questioning how much is too much. And even though the Bible says don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just too tempting. It's just too hard to resist. For some, it might be gambling. For some, it might be their mouth. Uh, they just have this issue with saying whatever they want to say, whenever they want to say it. Or maybe there's an anger issue, and now it's become generational. That's how their family deals with conflict, because they're not controlled by the Spirit of God in that area. It might be workaholism or smoking, or television watching, or sports, or it might be just that you're struggling in this area of, um, of even anxiety in your life, and, and over kind of focus on worry in your life. All of us can relate to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, where he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I do, what I do, I do not do. <laughs> For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. Instead, I do the evil I do not want to do. And that sounds like a lot of words, but it basically means you do stuff you shouldn't do, and you don't do stuff that you should do. And we wonder, and how do we get a handle on this in our life? And how do we get control over this in our life? And what, just like we've been talking about through the whole series, it's not about us getting control. It's about God's Spirit controlling us, and that's really what Galatians 5 is all about, that the fruit of the Spirit, it's not the fruit of me, it's not the fruit of you, it's the fruit of the Spirit in our life is love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness 
and gentleness and self-control. Now, how does he do that? We're going to give you some practical ideas today on that, but first I want to tell you a story about a guy in the Bible named Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David, and King David, just like all of us, had his own issues, but Solomon took it to a whole new level. And in 1 Kings chapter 2, David gives his son Solomon this charge. He says, be strong, show yourself to be a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways. Keep his decrees and his commands, his laws and his requirements, as it is written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. So how did Solomon do? Chapter 3, it says, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David. Look at that word, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. All of us, I will submit, have an area of except in our life. That there is like we're doing these things right except this area. Now Solomon, when he was in his prime, a lot of people believe that's when he wrote the book of Proverbs. So many wise sayings, so many good ideas about what God wants him to do and what he wants us to do. And, and that was written during that time. But then he hit a real low point in his life. First Kings chapter 11 says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. And so the Lord ended up tearing the kingdom away from his family. Many scholars believe that the book of Ecclesiastes was written at the end of his life as he's now looking back over everything else. Proverbs was written during the prime of his life, and the Ecclesiastes is written back with this reflection on things. And here's what he says in Ecclesiastes. Now that he's looking back on his life, he's had everything, every wealth, every pleasure, everything. And in chapter 2, it says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Here's a guy who has everything that everybody ever says that they want, and he looks back at the end of his life and says, it's meaningless. It doesn't matter. Apart from God, none of this matters. Chapter 6 in Ecclesiastes, it says, all of man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. In other words, the more you're trying to get the pleasure out of this world, the more that it will not satisfy and then in chapter 12, the final chapter of Ecclesiastes, he's writing back this final, like, here's what my final words for you are, and here's what he says. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And he's saying, look, looking at all of my life, I'm just telling you, he said, with all of my experience and all the good things, looking back on it, everything's meaningless except for following the Lord your God. In other words, that's where fulfillment is found. And so today, with that as a backdrop, what we're going to do is just look at how do we, as people of God, submit our life to God? How do we say, God, I'm powerless in this area? We have that area, and every, every single person in this room today, you know your area is different for every person. 
What is the area of your life where you know I'm not surrendering control of, of, to God in this area? The first thing you do is admit that you're powerless. Admit that you're powerless and that really in this area, your life is not in control. And right away, that's a problem for people. Because when they think about that, they say, you know, I, I, I'm doing pretty good in most areas, or really, I'm fine, don't mess with me on this. And that's just called denial. Denial is we act like everything's okay. Everything's perfect. Everything's great. Really, I'm just fine. No big deal. It's like that old t-shirt that shows a dead cow lying on his back. All four feet are in the air. Rigor mortis has now set in, and the caption just reads, really, I'm fine. I'm fine. And so many people are like that. They just live in denial, and we've all done that. And it takes the pain uh, of the situation to remind us or to get us back on track. We've often said it's not when people see the light that they change, it's when they feel the heat. <clears throat> In a book called In Siblings Without Rivalry, one mom tells of a summer day where she had broken down this old refrigerator freezer that had all these chunks of ice in it, and there were kids out in her, in her yard, her kids were out there in her bathing suits, and they were, she playfully tossed a big chunk of ice out there. Well, one of the kids then said, I want some, I want some, and then so she threw another big chunk out there. Now the kids are standing in the ice, and they're all over the ice with their feet. Then the other one goes, they've got more, I want more, I want more, and so she throws out a bit, another big chunk. Finally, there's so much ice that the kids' feet are filled up to their ankles with ice all over them, and they're still screaming for more, despite the fact that their feet are in utter pain. And they only stopped when the pain became too great to endure. And that's the way a lot of us are. We kind of think we're enjoying that moment. We're like, give me more, give me more. And then the pain of it eventually catches up to us. Where we lose a child, or we lose a career, or we lose a reputation, or we lose a driver's license, or we lose our freedom in some way. And maybe it's a catastrophe that happens, or maybe it's an arrest that happens for DUI, or maybe it's a divorce or a bankruptcy. And when the pain is so great, that's when we say, I think I need to change in this life. In the Old Testament, King David one time dealt with his own struggles and sin. And it said in Psalm chapter 32, my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. In other words, even his body was filled with frustration and pain because he wasn't living consistently. In Psalm chapter 38, if you ever want to read a prayer of lament from David as he's reflecting back on his own life, the whole chapter is really filled with really powerful words, but I'll just read some of them. He said, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Lord, do not forsake me and do not be far from me. My God, come quickly to help me. My Lord, my God and Savior. Anybody who's ever become a follower of Jesus, you probably had that moment in your life where you said, God, I'm powerless on my own. I'm spiritually broke. I'm unable to fix this. I can't do it in my own raw, raw willpower. I can't will my way out of this. I can't white knuckle my way out of this. And maybe some of you need to reach that point today where you say, in this area of my life, maybe God has control of every other area, but in this area, 
God does not have control of my life. And it's humbling to say, God, I, I have to admit, I don't have it all together. Admit you're powerless. The second thing is, recommit your life to Christ, or maybe commit your life to Christ for the first time if you've never done that. Once you realize you're powerless, then you say, God, I really do need you. It's not just that I can't do it on my own. I really do need you in my life. I need that moment where I say, God, I need your help. I need your support. I know I've told this story before, and Fred's here this morning, but it's such a powerful moment where uh, Fred, my friend who goes to church here, says he dealt with alcoholism for years, worked for an alcoholic beverage company, and years ago at the Super Bowl in San Diego, knew that if he walked into his hotel room that was filled with alcoholic beverages, that that would be it, that, that would, he would be off the wagon, that that would be the end of the story for him. And literally his hand was shaking as he put that key up to that keyhole and just simply fell there in the hallway of the hotel and prayed a simple prayer. And this is why I think this story is so powerful. The prayer was simply one word, help. And from that moment, God stepped in and started to help his life. When that moment, he said, I'm powerless in my life, and I need to turn the will of my life over to God. I need something else in my life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even to the point of life. But that happened, listen to what he said, so that we might not deny ourselves, but, or rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul says we were going through suffering so much so that this was happening in our life. The pain was so great so that we wouldn't rely on ourselves. We would simply pray that simple prayer, God, I need your help. That's that moment of submission, the moment of repentance, the moment where the prodigal son was in the pigsty, and he simply came to his senses, and he realized that he needed to do something else, and the scripture says he got up. He got up. He just simply said, I need to go back to my father. And the Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 36, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is not a head knowledge thing. This is not a, I now know what I need to do. This is simply a surrendering to God, saying, I know that I need to do it, and now I'm willing to, to submit my life to him. And you will miss out on what's available every day in your life, great fulfillment, if you don't surrender the control of your life to, to the will of God. Say, God, I have a problem. I'm out of control. I need your help. I have a problem with drugs. I have a problem with spending. I have a problem here, God. I need your help. And once God controls your life, you give him control. Once you do that, He's there to help you. The Holy Spirit takes over in that area. So what you say, well, wait a minute, I've tried to do that. So what's my problem? What's my problem? I think Galatians, Paul gives us an idea about what we often do in those moments where we take back control. And he said this, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? How many of us have done that? We turned our life over to the will of God, and then later we said, yeah, that was great back then, but I can still do this on my own, God. I don't really need your help. So maybe today, in your own mind, you just evaluate, God, there's some areas of my life, or there's an area of my life that I really, I've kind of become foolish, and I haven't turned this over to you, and I need to do that.
realizing that it's unmanageable, realizing that, it's power, that you're powerless over it, and then turning your life and will over to Christ in that area. The third thing I would say to do is to permit others access into your life. It's so powerful when you have a friend or a spouse or someone that you can be accountable with, and you say, this is an area I'm really struggling in. Can you help keep me accountable on this? It's one of the ways that God's designed us in relationship with each other. To discover his power happens when somebody walks alongside of you. And it's one of the reasons 12-step programs are so powerful is because they're set up on a basis that not only will you turn your life and will over to God, but also then you'll be able to say, I need somebody to help me and sponsor me. And so in AA, for example, they have somebody else who's been there before who walks with you and says, hey, I've been in that moment. I know how desperate that is, and I can help encourage you through this. And that's the way God has designed us. James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now notice how absolutely essential it is to admit your faults to somebody. It doesn't have to be everybody. It doesn't have to, you don't have to go public, but just go to somebody that you love and trust and say, here's something that I'm struggling with and I need your help and will you support me in this? That's the reason community groups are so important around here. That's the reason that having core groups is so important, men to men and women to women, where we're encouraging each other and saying, hey, I know this is a challenge. Let's walk through it together. And I want everybody in this place to know that everybody who's a failure is welcome here. Amen? Everybody. Because, I mean, I'm looking around. You guys are a bunch of failures. So am I. So am I. And we're all in that same boat together. We have all made mistakes. We all have challenges. We all have issues in this place. And because of that, we all come together and just say, hey, confess your sins to each other so you might be healed. We're here to help each other, support each other, not judge each other. We're here to lift each other up, to say, hey, listen, you can do it. You can make it. We're in this thing together. And so encourage one another. The last thing I would say to do is to transmit what you've experienced. In other words, now that you've gone through something, you've experienced the pain, now you can help walk somebody else through that in your life. With the same kind of comfort that you've received, you can comfort somebody else. And I think that's one of the biggest surprises is that God takes what we have and he allows us to use it for somebody else. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Just look at this verse. It says, God comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And who better to help somebody and be empathetic with somebody who's gone through alcoholism than to help and, and to use that to somebody who's now currently going through it. Who better to help somebody through grief than somebody who's been through it? One of the ways my mom kind of walked through the process of grief with my father when he passed away was she went to a local hospital and got involved in a grief program there, and she went through the entire uh, process of that. They, they did a little uh, montage of drawings or pictures. They did a lot of different things to walk through grief. Then she did it a second time. Why? Not just to receive, but so that she could give to the other members of that group, the new group, who were also enduring grief in their own life. Um, that's one of the reasons she has this women's group over 60. Now that she had been through it, just recently another lady in their group, Bonnie Beal, her husband Charles died. And now that he passed away, on Thursday, Bonnie was back in the group and mom was walking her back through the process of grief. Who better to help somebody through grief than someone who's been there before? 
And some of you today, you realize, hey, look, I've walked through that dark place. I know what it's like to deal with anxiety. I know what it's like to deal with parenting challenges. I know what it's like to deal with marriage challenges. I know what it's like to have financial challenges. And because of that, now I'm going to take that and use it to help somebody else. God may have a purpose in your pain if you would allow him to use that in your life. And maybe a turning point for some of you today would be just where you say, I can use what God has given me in my life to use for somebody else. So what is it that God's calling you today to? I really believe in the next few moments could be a real turning point. We're going to worship here in just a few moments. And as I read a scripture verse that kind of concludes this entire uh, uh, section of scripture, this entire series, uh, I want you to think about the words that I'm reading, and then after that I'm going to pray for you. And, 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 and then after that, we're going to worship together. Some of you are going to stand. Some of you are going to kneel. Some of you are going to stay seated. You do whatever you need to do as you allow God to work on you. Maybe some of you are admitting for the first time, I'm powerless over this. Maybe some of you are saying, God, I need your help. I need you to be supportive here. God, I need to surrender my life to you. Maybe some of you would say, listen, I need to think of somebody in this moment that I can talk to about this. Or maybe some of the rest of you would say, hey, God, how can you use me to use the pain that I've had to help somebody else? Listen to Galatians 5, verse 19. This is the whole section of Scripture that we've been looking at over the last nine weeks. Here's what Paul writes. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In whatever area of your life today do you need to have crucified to the cross, nailed to the cross, that sinful nature? And what area of your life do you need to embrace that idea of the fruit of the Spirit? And guys, parents today, which one of these lists would you want for your kids? The first list? All the things that are against the Spirit of God? Or do you want your kids to have the second list? All the things that are marked, that the people of God are marked by. That's what we are shooting for here across the board, is that all of us, as imperfect as we are, would be people who live in step with the Spirit. So let me pray for you today, and then we're going to worship together. God, we just thank you today for your word, and thank you for the ability to just come together as a church family. And as a church, we realize that we're, we're just imperfect people on a journey to become more like Christ. And, um, and God, we thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. And God, I'm praying for every person in this room today, some who've kind of come face to face with maybe an area in their life that is really challenged right now. And, and so God, I just pray that you would walk with them in that, that they would admit that they're powerless over that. And and God, for those who uh, say that today, they would come to a moment of surrender. And, and God, that they would, they would say, we need your help. We can't do this on our own.
And God, maybe there'll be others who say, I need to name a friend that I can trust. And God, can you help me find that person? Or maybe that person's already out there. And I just need to admit to them I'm struggling in some area. And, and listen, if we are those friends, I pray that we don't receive it with judgment. We receive it with grace, understanding, support, help. And then, God, I pray that all of us then, as we've gone through that, that tunnel of pain, that we would be able to help other people who have gone through that as well. And we say, hey, we're here for you. We're here to help you. We're here to, we want to be empathetic toward your situation. And we are because we've been there. We've experienced grief. We've experienced addiction. We've experienced anxiety. We've experienced parenting or marriage. God, we know what that's like. And so we want to be able to present it to somebody, help them out. And so God, would you speak to our heart today as we worship? Help us to find um, encouragement through your spirit and help us to be people who live in step with the spirit of God. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.